Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? So, enjoying the beautiful weather. It's just the perfect temp. Um, I do want to announce that we are going to be trying something new for the summer. Um, we are working on building more fellowship time into our services. And so you may have noticed when you came in out on the cafe tables, there's some uh, just some fruit and some bread and water. And we invite you guys to stay afterward. You know, it's almost noon. It's 1130 or so by the time we're done. Everybody's hungry. The kids are hungry. So just grab a little snack and you can either sit at the cafe tables, stand around, meander, come in, bring it in here and um, enjoy each other's company. But it's just a way to be able to spend some more time together, get to know one another and hang out a little bit more. So um, that will be set up right after the service. Just feel free to help yourselves. Okay. Okay. I think everybody's ready. Let's get going. As Heath said, today we're kicking off our summer series, which is focusing on the life of the early church. We missed a couple of weeks. I'm going to let James go back and pick that up. Um, but we get our first look at the life of the early church in the book of Acts. Acts opens and the stage is set. Jesus has been crucified. He met with his disciples for 40 days in which he taught with them, he ate with them, and he... They basically hung out and they fellowshiped and they did life together. They continued the life together that they'd started. And then he told them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he was taken up to heaven. So they waited. They waited in an upper room. About 120 of them gathered together. I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to ask if you'll just bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are here. Your Holy Spirit is here in this place. I thank you, Lord, that you have given me a word to speak to your people today. And God, I pray that, um, Lord, somewhere between my voice and their ears, Lord, you would help them to hear exactly what you have for each heart, each mind today. I thank you that you're here. Calm my heart and my mind. And Lord, just um, do the work that you do in teaching your people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, so God is funny. He knows exactly how to get our attention. My husband and I have had this ongoing conversation really for about the last two years in our home, and it ebbs and flows according to what we have going on, the seasons, our to-do list, and a lot of other things. But it never quite seems to find resolution. So a couple of months ago, James asked if I would teach on July 11th today, and I thought, sure, you know, that's great. I got lots of time to plan. And then a few weeks ago, I got the memo on the summer series, and I froze. Okay, God, this is the conversation we've been having in the Hayes home that we haven't quite resolved. So I'm coming to you today as just a fellow traveler, as a fellow learner, um, just trying to be, walk in obedience to the Lord. Um, so I've said this before, God won't ever let me get away with teaching something that he's not walking me through. And this is exactly what this is. So I have no fingers pointing. <laughs> They're all pointing right back at me. Okay, so let's jump into the second chapter of Acts. And we're going to break down verses 42 through 47. And in my Bible, the title says, The Believers Form a Community, which I think is significant. I'm just going to read through those verses. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't figured this out yet. I've shared this with some of you in this room. Um, but I know those who do a really great job of this idea of fellowship, of community. And I've been observing you because I want to be like you. So, again, I'm working on it. But I do know some things, and I see some things in the scripture. So here's what I know, and here's what I'm working on. I invite you to join with me as we grow in this community, in uh, fellowship, in living and loving one another. As Amber so eloquently said, in just uh, being the body of Christ and allowing one another into our lives. So um, when I unpack these verses, I see four truths, and I'm going to quickly go over them, and then we're going to break them down. Truth number one is that community involves intentionality and purpose. So if you're taking notes, it's intentionality and purpose. Number two, community involves giving and receiving. Number three, community is built in the midst of living life. And the fourth, community produces fruit. So, number one, community involves intentionality and purpose. We see that in Acts verses 42 and 43. It says, and the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So more of a side note, I'm not going to actually teach on this this morning, but I'd like you to notice the soil in which those miraculous signs and wonders happened. The soil was spending time with Jesus, spending time with one another, fellowshipping, which is a deeper than deeper concept than just hanging out. It's really that idea of inviting Jesus into where you are in relationship with other people. Uh, and And then prayer. And so that's the soil that these, these signs and wonders, these miraculous things happened. But the first word that really jumps out at me is they devoted themselves. They were committed to gather, to be together, to form and maintain this community that they developed as they'd walked with Jesus over the past three years. Maybe it's a hazard of my job, but I often see and do the exact opposite. When the going gets tough, I or we tend to isolate. We pull in rather than reaching out. Maybe it's that cultural pride of, I got this. I can do it myself. Uh, I think that it's human nature or it could be the individualistic society in which we live. But more often, um, as we often find in scripture, it's the exact opposite of what comes naturally. When we want to pull in, it's time to reach out. Devoted is a verb. We learned in elementary school that a verb shows action. It's doing something. The Greek defines devoted as to persist, to persevere in, or to continue steadfastly in. Many of the, the Bible uh, versions, translations that I looked up, instead of it saying it devoted itself to the apostles' teaching, it said they continued steadfastly in what Jesus had already taught them in the, the disciples or the apostles' teaching. 
So they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. You know, these are the guys that basically wrote the New Testament, along with Paul. These are the people who walked this earth with Jesus. We would call this Bible study. They were learning about Jesus and how to live this life. Above all else, they wanted to learn more about this new way, the realization that this Jesus who walked among them, who everyone remembered, was truly the Son of God. They wanted more of this unthinkable teaching that they could have their sins forgiven without animal sacrifice and without going to the high priest. They longed to understand the truth that Jesus, through his birth, his death, and his resurrection, through that we can experience the unfathomable love of God and the provision of God and everlasting life. The people wanted more, more teaching, more truth, more power, more of Jesus. And how did they do that? Through fellowship, through sharing meals, through praying together, through being together. This one is a challenge for me to get my head around, and I'm not sure why it's such a challenge, but fellowship is an intimate term. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, and it's defined as a partnership. It has the idea of a marriage, uh, benevolence, kindness, deep and true love. It screams vulnerability. Maybe that's why it's a little bit hard to get my head around. Most people pull back at that idea of vulnerability. It's a scary word. But it's our self-protective walls that keep us apart. When we eat together, when we invite Jesus into the conversation, when we pray together, we invite the Holy Spirit to form, create those bonds of love and of commitment. We become family the best form of family, which I think is interesting. It's defined in dictionary.com as any group of people closely related by blood or marriage. So through Jesus' sacrifice, through his death on the cross, through his blood, we become family. Truth number two, community involves giving and receiving. We're going to look at uh, verses 44 and 45. This idea um, is, again, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. This is love in action, and it's intense. I want to jump ahead to Acts chapter 4, and I want to read it out of the message. I like the way the message says it. It says, the whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master, Jesus, and grace was on all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed according to everyone's need. The church was the original welfare system. One scripture that when I first became a believer, I used to love to quote, and those around me, we kind of took this scripture on as our own. It was Philippians 4.19, and it said, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It was a great scripture, because when God supplies all your needs, what do I get to do? I get to wash my hands and walk away, right? No. (laughs) It's a true scripture. It is true that God provides all of our needs. But the longer that I've walked with the Lord, the more that I've seen that he often uses other people to do that. 
He often calls us to provide for someone else's needs. In a discourse on giving in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church and he's getting an offering from one church to give to another church that's in need. And he says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. God called us to meet one another's needs. So I could easily talk about giving financially and call it a day, but giving is more than writing the proverbial check, right? Which nobody does anymore. We then mow it and do all kinds of things. But what if in addition to finances, we thought about giving in terms of our time, our talents, our possessions, volunteering or doing random acts of kindness? It takes time to call someone. It takes time to have them in their home or get to know them or meet their needs. Sometimes we volunteer in the community or in church or in schools. Giving of our talents might be as simple as providing a listening ear, changing someone's oil if that's in your skill set, helping with tax forms or reading to a child or an elderly person. There are a million ways in which we can give. But let me flip that coin as well. Something that I talk a lot about in my office when I'm counseling with people is learning to receive. A lot of people have giving down. They're good. They can give their time. They give their servants. They are, you know, walking in what God's calling them to do. But when we talk about receiving back, all of a sudden those protective walls go up. Uh, maybe it's that I got this spirit that I talked about a minute ago. Maybe it's prideful independence that squelches our vulnerability. The funny thing is, as I was writing this part of uh, this teaching this week, my neighbor, and I'm in a new neighborhood, so I don't know her very well, she called me and she said, boy, I've got, my garden is going crazy. I've got so much uh, produce. I don't know what to do with it. Would you like some? And my first reaction was, oh, thanks. We're good. As I'm literally sitting at my counter writing this teaching. (laughs) And I went, okay, vulnerable. Okay, I can do this. Thank you. I would love some. And I walked up to her house, and we got to chat and talk and get to know each other a little bit more. And I walked home with an abundance of lettuce that was such a blessing. So it's easy to talk about. It's, it gets difficult when it comes down to the doing. So um, even harder can be receiving love. Receiving things maybe don't seem as vulnerable, but receiving love Letting people in, letting them see you, letting them get to know you, letting them get to know me, being honest and open and vulnerable. It's where, it's where community happens. Truth number three, community is built in the midst of living everyday life. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's verse 46. I love the ease of this picture. It flows with that last point. Inviting people into our homes isn't easy. First, there's organizing to be done, and there's meal preparation, and, of course, yard work, and the cleaning that never ends. I admit that I have a little bit of a Martha spirit, (laughs) which isn't all bad, but it certainly can get in the way of inviting people into my home and even of meeting someone for coffee because there's always more to be done. I think it's that idea of having guests that brings on this tension, this need to impress or compete or be enough or have enough. So 
I looked up the word guest, and get this. It comes from an old Norse word meaning stranger. So if we stop to, so if we think of people as strangers, and we, let me try that again. If we stop thinking of people like strangers, and we treat them more like family, then theoretically, the pressure of having them in our homes will be mitigated. I know that when I go into someone's home, I'm not judging the cleanliness or measuring the length of their lawn. I'm not doing a white glove test. I just feel honored to be welcomed into their home and into their life. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This doesn't sound like strangers. It sounds like family. As we live life together, a pile of the of laundry on the couch isn't a reason for judgment. An unmowed lawn isn't disgraceful. An unswept floor needn't be a reason for embarrassment. When we focus on the people and how we can love them and be united with them, the surroundings really don't matter. In fact, if someone's overwhelmed, it becomes natural to roll up our sleeves and help out. It's that working together in the bond, that the bond of community is built. It's in asking for help that vulnerability is born. It's in meeting a need that great joy and generosity spring to life. Again, in preparing for this teaching, I was talking to some ladies about this idea of hospitality and fellowship, some that are really, really good at it. (laughs) These are the people that I'm observing and want to be like. One of them recognized that when she had people in her home, those people feel closer to her than they otherwise would. She said they make a point to talk to her at church or to say hi in the grocery store. There's something about inviting people into our homes that brings a closeness that a neutral place like this just can't accomplish. Don't get me wrong. This is great, but we can take it to another level. We can take it a step higher. Another friend told me about that when she has people in her home, she loves to serve them and watch as different groups of people meet, maybe out in her yard, in her living room, over in her kitchen. And as she serves them, she watches as they get to form family and community and have fellowship that they would not otherwise get to have if she were not serving and and opening her home to them. And I thought that was a really beautiful picture. Truth number four, community produces fruit. We're going to go to verse 47 for that one. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? To love others into the kingdom. To grow the body of Christ. To live out the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's no better way to fulfill this command than by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. As I take a general overview of the Old Testament concerning specifically this idea of togetherness or community, honestly, I see a lot of division. The Old Testament law required separation of people groups, of nationalities, of tribes, of genders, of slave versus those who are free. There were strict divisions of land. Even clothing couldn't be made with mixed materials, and meats couldn't be um, eaten from different species at the same meal, like fish and chicken. Everywhere you look, there were divisions. 
and then King Jesus, who brought the Holy Spirit to live among us. Ephesians 2.14 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Galatians 3.28 says, There is no longer Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In Jesus, we see unity. We see the body of Christ. We see the best form of family. Indeed, throughout the New Testament, believers are encouraged to be united in Christ. So we're going to take a couple of minutes, and we're going to discuss and have some fellowship with one another. I'll put up some food for thought to get you started in some discussion groups, um, just discussion at your table. Um, don't forget, after the service, we're going to have some fruit and bread out on the table. You can grab some and come back in or find somebody that you maybe don't know, maybe you do know and haven't talked to for a while, and just enjoy the time that we have together. Um, okay, I think that... Are the questions up? Are they going up? I don't have questions up. Okay. So we don't have question. We don't have the questions to go up. Um, I am going to give you three questions you can talk about. So here you go. Have you experienced a dynamic, growing, giving, life-giving community? If so, what has being part of that community like been like for you? Okay. So number one. If you've experienced what I'm talking about, this life-giving community, it may be right here. It might have been someplace else. It might have been in a whole different um, life. Here's one for you. Vulnerability is a four-letter word for most people. What does vulner vulnerability mean to you? I talk a lot about that one in my office. Number three, fellowship involves more than just hanging out. What does fellowship look like to you? So one on vulnerability, one on fellowship, one on a growing life-giving community in your experience there. Go ahead. 